TV CRE, your choice for commercial real estate insights in the Treasure Valley. One of my first, one of my first deals was a nail salon. Yeah. <laughs> I was told in the beginning of commercial real estate, everybody needs to do a nail salon and a dog wash. It's and funny. once you've done one of those meets, you'll have, a, you'll have an incredible experience. Yeah, it's funny. I've actually done both of those. And yeah. I, I kind of take the same approach. Like, you kind of use that as the model. Like, we're going to get you in here. You're going to do a nail salon. You're going to be wear mini hats. You're going to be the super, the lead framer. You're going to do some design. Yeah. Um, and you're going to see it through from start to finish. Well, hello, everybody. How's it going? You got uh, TV CRE episode number three. Uh, actually, it's legitimately episode number two, but we did a pilot episode where Taylor and I talked about each other, but today we have the uh, famous Jeremy Schock from Wright Brothers Construction, and we're excited to kind of talk to you guys today and kind of learn about what Jeremy's doing in the uh, commercial construction realm and just get to know. So maybe start us out and kind of introduce yourself and maybe when did you come to Boise and what what you're doing here and just a a basic uh, Jeremy Schock for dummies. Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. What's your story? Well, I grew up in Missoula, Montana, um, and came to Boise State in 2010, 11, and uh, went through the construction management program there and graduated and did a brief stint in Tucson, Arizona for a big national builder, uh, Hensel Phelps, who's actually oh, building yeah. Meta mm-hmm. out in Kuna. Um, and I just needed to get back to the mountains. You know, Tucson was great in the winter, but the summers, brutal heat, and oh, yeah. just wasn't for me, and made the move back. And... Uh, we started at Wright Brothers in 2014, and I've been there coming up on eight years now. And um, I've done a little bit of everything with them. Uh, done some time on the concrete division, did a greenbelt path, been a superintendent, project engineer, and now for the last five years I've been a project manager with them. So we do a little bit of everything, kind of span the spectrum from small retail TIs all the way up to big multifamily, big industrial projects. Mm-hmm. Sweet, man. So what did you start as? What was your first job? So my first job was actually a diamond nail salon, and I was pretty much everything on that project. I was the PE, the superintendent, the assistant superintendent. At times, I designed some mechanical chases for um, the manicure stations. I've done a little bit of everything on that project, and yeah, it was a great learning experience. Kind of got to see it from uh, from start to finish. So it was a good experience. One of my first one of my first deals was a nail salon. Yeah, <laughs> I was told in the beginning of commercial real estate, everybody needs to do a nail salon and a dog wash. It's and funny. once you've done one of those meets, you'll have a, you'll have an incredible experience. Yeah, it's funny. I've actually done both of those, and yeah. I, I kind of take the same approach. Like, kind of use that as the model. Like, we're gonna get you in here. You're gonna do a nail salon. You're gonna be wear mini hats. You're gonna be the super, the lead framer. You're gonna do some design. Yeah. Um, and you're gonna see it through from start to finish. So that's that's funny. We, did you did you feel like BSU adequately prepared you for the profession? Did you like the program? And yeah, I did. Um, you know, I think that the, the CM program at Boise State uh, they do a phenomenal job. They've got great leadership. Um, their placement rate coming out of there is like 99%, um, you know, and there's a bunch of extracurricular activities with the Construction Management Association, the Reno competition, mm-hmm. um, that really arms the students with, you know, real world skills when they get ready to actually enter the market. So yeah, they did a phenomenal job. So you were prepared, got in, got your hands dirty with some yeah. interesting level stuff, and then now you've just progressed. Yeah, just love the Treasure Valley. It's a hard place to beat, you know. In the day and age of recruiters hitting you up constantly, it's really hard to, to make a switch when, you know, the Treasure Valley has everything you could ever want to offer yeah, here. So absolutely. That's, that's a good point. So 
speak about recruiters hitting you up and where are all the places that Wright Brothers has expanded to? Yeah, so right now, I mean, we've done projects everywhere from Boston. We did a project in the right field wall of Fenway. It was a right. tilted kilt project. Right, we got to hear about that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that was probably, oh, that must have been six or seven years ago. So it was in a building that was built in the late 1800s and uh, had a basement. And that area of Boston was built on a landfill. And so mm. when we started doing demo and stuff. Pulled out the slab in the basement. There was like a six-foot gap oh. to the actual ground. And wow, so, everything um, gets settled in the land. Yeah, yeah it was wow. pretty fascinating. But I think one of the most interesting parts of that project was is it kind of the project schedule went through baseball season. Okay. And uh, being right there on the right field wall, yeah, um, incredible. it closes down at noon. If you have a car in there, you're not getting out until the following day. Yeah. And so you're working around all the existing buildings and businesses, and then you're also working around the baseball schedule. Um, so it was pretty fascinating to oh, see yeah. that. It was a tr tremendous experience. That's super cool. Yeah. All right. Sorry, you can continue. Um, yeah. So we, if you kind of look at like where we traditionally do work, we do a lot of work in Texas. And if you took the Mountain West Division, everything west of there is where we pretty consistently do work. Um, the stuff that we travel for is a lot of um, corporate companies. So we do a lot of One Medicals, Carbon Health. We did a ton of Outback Steakhouses. We do a ton of Verizon Wirelesses. Um, so it's all good repeat clients that we have, you know, great yeah. relationships with and uh, are willing to travel kind of wherever they need us. So uh, it's a good staple to have for sure. Seems like those are two locations that you find in any developed area: an Outback and a Verizon. Yeah, right. yeah, for they're sure. pretty consistent. So. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. Now you guys uh, also have some in-house like an in-house concrete team, right? Yep, yep. So we've got, I think, somewhere in the neck of the woods of 30 to 40 on our concrete crew. Um, they're very unique in the sense that we treat them almost like a separate entity. So they bid work for us. Uh, they do a lot of work for us, but they also do a lot of work for other GCs in the Valley. Um, where they specialize and really succeed is the really technical type stuff. So, you know, concrete tilt-ups, podium projects. They've done fish hatcheries, dams, all, oh, all of those kind yeah. of things. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's a great resource to have in-house for sure. Well, and I've heard lately on some of the projects there was a concrete shortage, correct? And yeah. so did that give you guys an edge kind of bidding jobs? Yeah, it definitely did. Um, at one point here late last year, a lot of the mud plants were putting their, their contractors on essentially rations, if you mm -hmm. will, because yep. they could only supply so much. And so, you know, we're fortunate enough that we the amount of mud that we buy from them that we were not put on the, the kind of the ration program, which is a huge benefit, you know, when we start looking at kind of the volatility in the market and some of the environmental factors that we've been dealing with since COVID hit. So uh, definitely an advantage to have them in-house. So you've been in our valley now for multiple years. Have you seen the type of commercial real estate projects shift dramatically or what have you noticed in the last, like say 10 years? Yeah, I think in, in my time here, you know, I think the big shift has really been multifamily. You know, we've mm -hmm. been doing multifamily since pretty much the beginning. Uh, a lot of HUD projects, tax credit projects and stuff like that. So when the boom of multifamily happened a few years ago, you know, we were very well positioned to capitalize on that and, you know, continue to grow that wing of it. Um, but yeah, I think the industrial side, so all your logistics centers, you know, the tilt-ups, clear span, warehouses, you know, those are kind of the two um, sectors within the industry that we've really seen explode in the last five, six years. So. Are you shocked at the growth? A little bit, um, but you know, it's it's the Treasure Valley for a reason. And once the secret's out, you know, it starts hitting all these lists right. Right. and you know, it, it's a great place to live. And with that, people want to move their businesses here. Um, and so it, from that standpoint, I really understand it. You know, it's the same reason mm -hmm. I came back here from Tucson and you know, wanted to set my family up here and, and yeah. make this our permanent home, so. I just still, I drive downtown Boise here. I drive out through Star Eagle and I'm 
consistently perplexed. Right. Well, you, I yeah, you up grew up here. You knew it I was just like can't prior. believe it. No, yeah. I can't. I like, mm-hmm. I am always shocked with yeah. how much development is going on. Even going down State Street right now with all the multifamily projects going mm-hmm. up right now and all the land entitlements right. happening. Oh, yeah. It's going to be, State Street in three years is going to be a different path. Mm-hmm. You can pretty much stand anywhere on State Street from Glenwood to Eagle Road and throw a rock and hit three different multifamily houses. Right, yeah, you got apartments. There's also some cool stuff in Garden City, right, yeah, which mm-hmm. wasn't always um, And downtown well Boise, yeah. it's just, with the amount of development, and just recently, too, the, the announcement of the Greyhound that Jay Story sold over to the, um, the guys at Pacific, that was that's, that's it's going to be incredible too, and they're saying that's going to be like the crown jewel, right, of, mm-hmm. of the downtown Boise sector. And yeah, it's been fascinating to see the skyline in downtown Boise and the core change, even in the you know ten years that I've been here. Mm-hmm. You know, Zion's Bank Building, Jump, Simplot World Headquarters. I mean, it's it's right. it's yep. very very interesting. When I was a teenager, change. all downtown Boise had was a giant hole. I know. And sat there right. with rebar coming <laughs> right. out of it, and it was like a pit of death. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's it's exciting though. So. It's, it's great to know that we're having good people help shape the valley. Um, as a commercial real estate broker, one of the questions I, I often come across from clients is, how do we project our building expenses? And um, we're going to put this deal into escrow, and we're going to make predictions about our mm-hmm. building expenses. But what happens if they change? Do you have any advice for commercial brokers that would maybe listen to this podcast or investors or developers on how they can, can try to get some kind of security. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, my, my first recommendation to anybody and whether it's Wright Brothers or different contractors, bring the contractor in early. Usually in the due diligence phase, you know, we're in such a rapidly changing landscape in this environment with the volatility from all these factors from the outside. Um, bring the contractor in early through due diligence, start to kind of hone in on a budget. And it's this fine line you walk of not padding it too much that it already breaks the bank and it doesn't pencil, but also not being ultra aggressive and making it so that it's so aggressive that when it actually comes time to build a year from now, um, that the costs aren't accurate. And so we've kind of tried to adapt with that, you know, the five years ago, even three years ago, we were able to kind of throw around square foot costs, you know, six, eight, 12 months out, um, and be within two or 3%. Um, since COVID hit, it has become increasingly challenging to do that. Um, and so we sit down and we do a cost indexing on a monthly basis with our estimating team and talk about, um, you know, from resin products, so all your C900 pipe to uh, engineered wood packages, so your sheathing, LVLs, glue lambs, uh, steel, drywall, paint, um, and try to really monitor what the costs are doing and what's, what, what is causing the cost to go up. You know, in some cases it could be a hurricane or an ice storm in Texas, or it could be related to fuel surcharges due to the war in Ukraine. You know, there's all these ulterior factors in there that affect the supply chain. And so we just try to be on top of it, be out in front of it in real time when we get notices from suppliers, convey that to our owners so that they are able to adapt and adjust their performance. Because on the private side in particular, there's such a gap in time from the due diligence phase to actually breaking ground. Oh, yeah. With the municipalities taking longer than ever right now, it's become even more increasingly challenging. And so we just try to give them real-time data so that they can continually adapt and change their performer to make sure that as we go from the due diligence phase to closing on the land to the design time and the review time in the municipality that we're constantly monitoring these costs and giving them real-time data so that they can adapt and pivot if needed. And that's good. And, and when you're working with a, a broker who has a good pulse on the market too, they can yep. be working with them on giving them um, recent data on rates too for the renting and for the leasing. And yep, exactly. Yeah. Do you have some um, items within that cost indexing that have seen a ton of volatility? I think we, we've all heard about certain things, yeah. but what's been the most difficult to track? Um, you know, doing a lot of multifamily, the lumber was the big one for a mm-hmm. long time. 
you know, we, we get a lot of lumber from Canada and we also get some here locally, but uh, it was so up and down and it's usually a good indicator that we're running into a very volatile time when suppliers and subcontractors are only holding their prices for 48 or 72 hours. Um, wow. so, so, yeah. you know, it turns into a kind of a situation where we're almost like day trading trying to, you know, we've got 48 hours to vet this number, <laughs> right. see if we're going to move forward with it, or do we hedge our bet and wait, hoping that it comes down? Mm -hmm. Because lumber skyrocketed last summer, then it took a dip, and right. then it went back up, and then right. it took a dip, and so it kind of turns into, you know, yeah, do you roll the dice and gamble? Aspect yeah. Of it. Yeah. Is there any sort of, and this might be ignorant to ask, but is there any sort of a collaborative environment with the local Boise builders or the people who are here that says, hey, we're out of this supply. We need this. Do you guys have any extra on your yard? Do you guys kind of? Yeah. And so what it's resulted in is we just try to get really creative and using either different materials or going to different building systems to try and adapt mm -hmm. and kind of offset some of the price increases that we're seeing, you know, with traditional framed items. You know, we looked at doing, um, I think it was bare wallboard, which kind of had the Tyvek already mm -hmm. on it. And so we, you know, ordered a ton of that. Um, and that got, got us through a couple of projects when OSB and plywood was right. going yeah, through the going roof. crazy. It's interesting. So... What do you um, appreciate about your job the most? The people, honestly, you know, getting to meet a ton of cool people, you know, Dre, Taylor, um, <laughs> <Very good. laughs> get to go do a, a bunch of cool activities. Um, you know, and we really pride ourselves on kind of creating strategic partnerships with our clients. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're definitely probably not the cheapest shop in town, but we really pride ourselves on the quality of work that we produce and being transparent throughout the process. Um, and, you know, we've created a lot of relationships with our clients that then become friends. And, you know, and that's when it kind of starts translating to the other things that we do outside of work, you know, whether it's fishing or skiing or golfing. Right. Mm -hmm. um, and so I think that's probably my favorite part about it is, is a lot of the clients that I've worked with and the people I've met because of my job mm -hmm. um, have become good friends. And they're the people I hang out with outside of work to go hunting, to go fishing and, and golf and stuff like that. That's awesome. I, mean, I would agree that this is probably one of the most networked valleys if you choose to network with right. it you can you can get planted in and make a lot of friends who are doing business alongside you along right. the way yep. well and you've got this great mindset here too right where people they want to work they want to be successful but they also have things that they're interested in doing outside of work and it creates a great opportunity to foster those business relationships in a way that's really fun too yep. um, and i think in other markets you know those relationships form maybe completely around work and here it's kind of like you kind of do life together right work together play together mm -hmm. if you're taylor you golf four times a week <laughs> hey golf four times a week depends on the time of year <laughs> the title Maybe. guys and the insurance guys right? <laughs> no, they got a good, some of yeah. the lowest handicaps i've ever hey, seen right my handicap's not that low but yeah it's because during the months of you know august september october i'm putting the clubs away and getting to the mountains yeah doing some scouting yeah so if you were to look directly to the viewers and say this is why you should choose right brothers like i, I know you've said you're transparent you're relational mm -hmm. Um, what, what it's like, what's the main reason someone should choose you if they're coming into our market? Um, you know, if you're looking for a strategic partner, uh, we really pride ourselves on with everything that's changing the market of adapting with the market and coming up with new systems to kind of offset some of the challenges that we've come and, and ran into. And I think that right brothers advantage is, is first and foremost, the people that we have, you know, we're not on a rampage for growth. We're very strategically growing and doing it the right way and making sure that it's people who fit our mold. Um, so if you're looking for somebody that you can trust and, you know, go out and do those outdoor activities with, um, you know, we're just a bunch of regular, regular people there, guys and girls that, um, you know, I think we're very relatable and, you know, we make it easy and we kind of understand that there's not a single blueprint for every project. We like to cater to the owner, um, and not just cast over a wide reaching net and say, you know, here's how it is. Give us the information. We'll build it. We'll give it to you at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, we have so many owners that are so vastly different in the level of involvement that they want. 
and you know we try to cater a blueprint that works for them and that you know makes them feel comfortable through the building process because we have people who've never done a development in their entire life and want to be very involved and we have people who have never done a development in their life and they just want to hand you the keys and get it at the end of the project and so we really try to sit down and listen first um, and really try to get to know the person um, and really cater to them on what they want what they need um, throughout the process the level of satisfaction throughout the process we really try to try to focus on when we do a project for somebody that's good. And, and um, what's one project that you guys are currently working on that you're able to share a little bit about? Um, so River Point uh, is, I don't remember how many apartments it is, but it's down in Garden City. It's a cool project right there on the river. Mm -hmm. um, great access to the Green Belt. You know, it's going to be a really cool addition to Garden City, which has really blown up over the last four or five years. Had it. Um, and so we're getting ready to wrap that up here in a few months. And it, it's been with a repeat client that we've done a few jobs with and great relationship. And it's just been a great job exciting to hear yeah that's super cool man maybe shift and focus to the market in general I know we've talked about you know cost indexing and forecasting expenses um, what do you see as maybe some uh, from your perspective as a commercial builder some obstacles to continued growth here um, I think the biggest one is gonna be the labor market uh, the the materials and the supply of materials is something that is constantly evolving it goes up it goes down um, but the labor market, you know, we're, we're growing and we're getting all this institutional money coming in to do developments here, and it's growing exponentially faster than we are getting, you know, new subcontractors and, and labor into the market. Um, and so what's that, what that results in is now we have a pool, and it's not fixed, but relative to the growth. Um, you know, you take 100 subcontractors to do 500 jobs, and now you have 105 subcontractors to do... 1200 jobs. Yeah. Wow. Um, yeah. And so it's, yeah, it's, it's longer not like schedules. subcontractors are just hopping on planes to move over here because yep. the cost of living is now so right. high. Yeah, it's difficult. So it's created a, an interesting dynamic. Yeah, barriers to the market, really. Are there certain um, categories of subs that are harder to find than others right now? Um, no, it's, it's pretty much across the board. Uh, site infrastructure is a big one, um, and framers, because that's one that really the guys who are qualified and capable of doing some of these bigger multifamily projects also go in and do the big residential developments. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, we've also seen that with stucco, you know, they get really focused on the residential side and it's hard to find a stucco contractor. Yeah. And then they the kind of fade back. So, um, yeah, I think those are probably the two biggest ones. Uh, Siding's been a big one lately. Um, so I, I would encourage, you know, people who are in high school and stuff, you know, look, look at exploring the trades. I mean, there's yeah. an opportunity to make a ton of money if you get into the trades. And I agree. Yeah, and help build a valley, yeah. right? A really cool opportunity. Absolutely. Well, we, we thank you for taking time to come out of your day and come over and teach us about Wright Brothers and about yourself. And yeah, it's thanks exciting. for having me. It's exciting to hear about your take on the market. And Yeah, if maybe as a parting question for you, um, do you have, like, a, if you had the crystal ball, right, if this was based off of Jeremy Shock and what you yeah. see, um, kind of what do you think is going to happen to the market over the next, maybe the next couple of years? You're just setting them up. Yeah, <laughs> setting me up for failure here. <laughs> I mean, we're going to get it on the record here. Well, if I had to look at my crystal ball, uh, we're going to see continued growth, I think. Um, you know, everybody that I've talked to, people are still moving in here. So we're well insulated, at least from what I've been told, from, you know, a recession like we saw in 08, 09, um, because even when we get the waves of COVID, we see more people flock from mm -hmm. the bigger metro areas of Seattle, Portland, you know, California. Mm -hmm. um, so I think, you know, I, I think we've got a few good years of, of growth left. Um, that ideally, we would hopefully kind of plateau or kind of, some yeah, kind of a cycle. Soften a, a little bit. Yeah, because we saw costs rise so rapidly that, you know, it was even hard to give budgets on a month-to-month -month basis because it was so volatile. And mm -hmm. so, you know, hopefully it kind of plateaus a little bit and becomes a little bit more reasonable and not so reactionary. Yeah, yeah. Oh, thanks. That's helpful. Good to yeah. know. 
Well, we'll mark it down. We start surveying that question. Yeah. <laughs> Make a big board in here for <laughs> crash go. Crash yeah. go. But it's good. We, we really appreciate you taking time to come. Yeah, thank you guys. Appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, absolutely. So if listeners want to get in touch with you, Jeremy, what's the best way to do that? Yeah, LinkedIn or you can go to our website. Uh, all our contact info is there, uh, wbtbc.com. Sweet. So. Okay. Well, thank you guys for uh, tuning into the TVCRE. We'll get you on the next one.